Welcome back to yet another episode of In Defense of Liberation, a show in defense of educating about and uh, working towards a true people's liberation movement. Uh, I'm here with my comrade, Ramiro. How's it going, Ramiro? I'm doing all right, man. Just uh, just chilling. What about yourself? Oh, just about the same. So, uh, Ramiro here is with uh, Anti Conquista. Um, Anti Conquista is a show which I recently uh, found uh, scrolling through, you know, the mass list of podcasts that there are now all of a sudden. And uh, about three, four months ago, I started listening and I, I haven't stopped since. So, uh, I'm glad to have you on, but I, I'd be even more glad to hear what it is that Anti Conquista is about, my friend. So let's hear it. For sure. Well, I'm glad you like our content and follow our podcast and our videos and our website. Anti Conquista is an anti imperialist media collective. Our content is produced by and for the Latin American and Caribbean diaspora. And we're a platform of Latin American and Caribbean people who are somewhere in between in Spanish as a saying, ni de aquí ni de allá, not from here, not from there. Well, we're kind of like, if we in the United States were seen as migrants, immigrants, or people who are not, don't belong to the US, but in Latin America, we're seen as gringos or people from, you know, Americans, because we live in the US. And so we're, in a unique position where we are connected to what's going on back in Latin America and the Caribbean, and we're following what's going on, trying to put out coverage about it and support movements out there who are doing revolutionary work. But we're also operating within the belly of the beast. We have, we're in the, the core of capitalism, of imperialism, and we're a group, a coalition of many different people of different backgrounds who are coming together to fight the same enemy, Wall Street, the bankers, the capitalists, the war machine, the Pentagon, all of our people have common struggles. All of our people from our different countries were all pillaged by United Fruit, by ExxonMobil, by Chase Bank, by I can go on and on and name the US and European corporations. And so we're coming together to fight back against that, to build alternative media, socialist revolutionary media, media that promotes learning because so much of the unfortunately within the latino community so much of the media that is catered towards us is complete garbage it's either totally based on just music and culture and food which is cool like that's part of it but it dumps down it the the level of knowledge and discussion had is very low vibrational and we're trying to elevate the level of conversation that we're having with our people about colonialism, about politics, philosophy, everything that's going on. And so that's pretty much what we're about. We're theory and practice, you know, media, but also active political work. And that's what we're about. That's awesome, my friend. Um, I can uh, I can say that my girlfriend and her folks are from Brazil. Um, so when they're listening, uh, watching uh, Global, I uh, definitely know that's that's precisely the the stuff that they throw on. It's just it's like two to three hours of like live concerts, and then it's just like a bunch of different food shows, and then some news. But other than that, like, yeah, no, that's that's incredible, my friend, and that's that's quite a a task to 
uh, uptake, but you guys seem to be doing very well. I see that you guys are getting views on your live videos. I see that you guys are getting a lot of feedback on social media and stuff like that. I'm always seeing you guys on Instagram. You always got like good posts on there. I love that stuff. Um, but yeah, no, it it's incredible how how little education or I guess education isn't even necessarily the word because we all have the education. Like when you start having conversations with folks, they they have the education about the things we're talking about. They just don't have the words. They don't have the education as we might conceive it. But they, they're living life just like we are. But it's crazy how few people really take the conscious effort to look at not only our present right now, but what has caused us to become what we are now you know history is incredibly important and there's so few people who pay really any attention to it um i'm sure that you can you know we all can talk about how ridiculously uneducated the mass folks when it comes to these things uh in america is i mean why else would we get a a, a joe biden presidency why else would we get a donald trump presidency like these folks, unfortunately, who are going out and voting don't seem to have any c conscious wherewithal, or if they do, um, they, they might have that conscious wherewithal and they might be siding with this, and that's even more, you know, uh, awful. But the, the fact of the matter is there isn't much uh, conversation being had about these topics uh, in schools. There isn't much conversations being had in the mass media. And that's important. So Anticonquista is doing uh, absolute hard work. They're putting in uh, hours, that's for sure. Really, really trying to combat that. And that's awesome, my friend. Um, so talking about the ed uneducation or the lack of understanding that people have today, something that like uh, really strikes me is, you know, you have conversations with folks. So like, even on the left, socialism to some is like a concept which they don't really understand, right? Um, I, I've, I found it, honestly, in this might be a random thought, but it's, it's phenomenal how few people, even who proclaim to be like fighting for these things, really understand like how much work needs to be done. Like we're talking about folks being uneducated about theories about ideas but you have to understand that like we're members of a society like we all go to work every day we, then we come home to our houses and watch tv and uh, you got to change all of that so um i mean on anti-conquista you guys do great work talking about active revolutionary movements um i actually have a oddly enough like a facebook pen pal um, in Venezuela, which I, I reached out to you and we, we talked about his, his book. Um, and I think the, the Bolivarian revolution is a clear cut example of what, uh, true revolution looks like in, in, you know, uh, in defense of themselves against this huge apparatus of capitalism. They're combating not only economic sanctions, COVID-19, but again, even day-to-day -day stuff that you need to revolutionize. You really need to point out to folks that society is not working for the mass majority of the people who are participating in that society, and that's a problem. Um, and so I think that it's incredible 
how, how many folks in the unorganized American left think that tomorrow we're going to hit critical mass, capitalism is going to collapse, and we're going to have a quick revolution, and then tomorrow we have socialism. And or communism, I should say, and unfortunately, that that's simply not the case. Um, but yeah, it's it's incredible, my friend, that there there truly is a, a lot of work that needs to be done. Um, one thing that I think we really need to focus on is um, talk, learning about the steps that need to be taken. You know, this, the things that need to be done. You and I are both Marxists. Um, I only recently began like really diving into theory like the last maybe three to six months i want to say um and the amount of education that i've gotten just in that period of time is incredible um so what is something that anti-conquista is really doing right now that you feel is like really important that's getting this education out there that that you guys are are working on right now well, I think a big part of the work that we're doing is, first of all, informing our people in the diaspora and people all over the world about current events and theory. I think really returning to the basics of what socialism and communism is, you'll notice that part of what we do are uh, political education sessions where we go over seminal works in Marxism, Lenin's State and Revolution, Mao's Little Red Book, Kwame Ture. Uh, you know, Huey Newton, et cetera, and really going back and teaching people what socialism and communism really are. Because I was born 1991, right, for example, my whole life. So I was born actually like I think on the same month or day that the Soviet Union officially collapsed, which is interesting. And since my whole throughout my whole life of my education, everyone has told me, you know, socialism failed. Be, everywhere it's everywhere it's been tried look at the soviet union union look at all these other countries like you know forget about socialism capitalism one that's it end of story and i didn't buy it i saw growing up i saw all of the poverty not only in the u.s but in my family's home country of honduras seeing the mass poverty seeing kids eat out of dumpsters seeing like just what neoliberalism and capitalism does around the world. And I think starting from my generation and yours as well, moving forward, we're part of that generation where we don't buy that anymore. You know, mm -hmm. when you have these boomers and these Gen Z or, or Gen Xers who are like, I saw the Soviet Union fall, like it doesn't. And, and because they saw it on this black cube called the television that gives us these illusions, like, you know, they saw the Berlin Wall, they saw all of that. So like, it's stuck in their mind, like, okay, capitalism won, that's it. People are inherently greedy, socialism will always fail. We grew up after that. Um, and so I think we're in a unique situation where we can relearn and, and re-pick up the battle, right? We can learn about what actually happened. And that's what we're trying to do. Like, we're trying to teach people about socialism and communism, and not from the garbage they see on TV, not from the propaganda from capitalist media, but what Marxist communists have been saying themselves. And there's so many myths about socialism and communism because so much of what we've gotten is from mainstream media, from TV shows. We grew up on that, you, you know what I'm saying? And so what we're trying to do is like, 
we we get these old books that were from like you know the 1800s but still have grains of truth in it still have like a book like capital or a book like Satan revolution that has like so much truth in it how do we take it bring it to the 21st century apply it and make it digestible for people to consume because that's important another thing that people have really like not taken into account especially within the left is the fact that our generations the way our mind works is different from the way hundreds people hundreds of years ago thought right like marx could would write like a thousand page magnum opus called capital and someone would like sit down and read it and from beginning to like that there was no netflix there was no twitter ig so people our attention span under late capitalism has gotten shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter we're constantly being bombarded with ads with media we're overstimulated we're over socialized and that's kind of ironically what is one of our biggest hindrances now at this point it's the contradiction that even marx talks about it's like the more technology develops under capitalism the more it's used against us and weaponized against us to keep us distracted to keep us in a low vibrational state to just be looking at you know uh asses and tits on ig and and netflix and dumb shows and you know and it's and and it's like and i'm not gonna act like i'm beyond that or above that because i've also been in that too you, you know what i mean like it's something that we're all working on on elevating ourselves reading more you know watching less tv watch you know and and that's what we're trying to do is like we're trying to bring that culture of studying uh of scientific socialism of learning to the 21st century in a way that's digestible and understandable to people because if you're coming at people with like 50 word sentences, thousand pages, you know, this complex theory, like, you know, that people are not gonna, you're competing with something sexier and cooler. And that's why the right wing has won the media war in the US. You have all these, you know, right wing podcasters and YouTubers who they, they just have like their content. I, I see what they do all the time because they're winning the media war in the US. And so we gotta study that and apply it to the left and make, socialism cool make it like a thing because in other countries around the world the communist like it's only in the u.s that socialists and communists are portrayed as like weirdos or like kids stuck in their mom's basement like but in other countries like if you're a communist or a socialist you're like fucking cool you know you're you're somebody who's defending the people you're an outlaw you're like a revolutionary and so we're trying to bring that culture back into the 21st century under new conditions, under new technology for the mass people. That's, that's so, that's so true. And so, um, so incredibly well said. So I, I wrote down a few notes while you were talking. I hope, I hope it doesn't feel like I'm not paying attention. It's just, oh, no, if it's I don't write it down, I'm not gonna remember it. So the first thing that I wanted to say is that one of the things that I began to learn about because, and I don't know if you're like into philosophy outside outside of Marxism. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. I mistakenly decided that I'm gonna try to learn Hegel. Okay, interesting. And okay. it is so far I've I've had to take um like serious time to like 
watch YouTube video after YouTube video after YouTube video to understand some of like his most simple ideas. But one thing that got pointed out to me a while back, and I might not have the correct language for it, like the terminology, but um, so our logic, the way that we understand the world is really dumb. And I don't mean that to be like people who make those choices are dumb, yeah. but the way that we make choices is dumb because the way that I can't think of, I, there's a certain type of logic that we use currently. And the way that it goes is something is either A or it is not A. So right. either communism is good or communism is bad. Capitalism is good or capitalism is bad. Um, but on, either side of that spectrum what you know insert into the blank whatever that is you don't have any middle ground and that is incredibly important because the things that we're talking about the things that we are trying to work to change these are not things that you can you can't just walk into a town that's you know ravaged with poverty you can't walk into a country where children are eating out of dumpsters and go you know what I think I'm going to do? I'm going to give everyone here a million dollars and then they're all going to be able to feed themselves. <laughs> like that's not going to solve the underlying problem. And so the logic that we use a lot of times, even on the left, is incredibly, you know, idealistic because you're not actually spraying at the base of the fire. You're not addressing problems. You're expecting that, again, like in a lot of ways, there's folks who think that tomorrow they're going to be able to pick up a gun and just walk into Washington, <laughs> D.C. and go, hey, uh, we're here. And uh, would you like to buy our newspaper, if that gives you any hints? Um, <laughs> but then another thing that I wrote down is our social relations are incredibly changed as well, because you're talking about we're overstimulated, you know, we're, we're overconnected. But at the same time, we're more disconnected from one another than we've ever been. So again, there's another case where it's not simply A or B, because we have all the means of technology to connect with whoever we want, whenever we want. But never do those connections feel like true connections. We're losing that connection as a human race with people. And that's important because, like you say, if we want to break away from this culture of entertainment, well, we have to replace it with something. And if we actually want to help people, we want to replace that with a culture of humanity, with a culture of social community. You know what I mean? And that that has been completely bombarded by capitalism and by the progression of this, you know, uh, oppressive system that we have that tells people, OK, you want to you want to be able to eat tonight. You want to be able to, you know, afford a house. Well, from nine to five you're going to go to work then when you get home you're going to cook dinner and then you're going to eat dinner you're going to watch tv or as you know apparently you do go on instagram and look at ads <laughs> <and kids. laughs> i got off i got off of instagram for that reason <laughs> i used to be on instagram yeah yeah but like and then you're going to wake up and do it again tomorrow and it's like yeah. where in that is not only interacting with one another but interacting with this guy right here like you say right. you know People, Marx would write capital, someone would get a copy and they'd go, okay, see y'all in <laughs> fucking a month because yeah. capital is ridiculous. Um, but they would sit down and read it and they would not only that, they would be able to digest it. Like one thing that I found reading theory 
I really need secondary sources. I really need that additive material because not only is the language complicated, but being able to sit down and go focus mode, I can't. So I read it, but then, you know, how much of it I actually digest is another thing. So that's why even though technology has completely affected our social relationships, it's changed the way we live our lives. There are ways that we can use that technology to help ourselves. And I think that this that's what this is. And I think that that's what Anti-Conquista is doing. And that's, that's great, because like you say, the right is winning the media war. And that is, I mean, not, not to put it, you know, so dull, but like, it's not good. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, we need to work on changing that. Because um, as, you know, something that I said to a friend of mine today, uh, was that, Folks who think that capitalism is just going to collapse and we're going to fall into anarchy and we're going to have to try to figure it out for ourselves. No, it's going to go capitalism to fascism the same way that it always does. If you look back in 1930s Germany, after World War One, you can see parallels between the society that exists there and the society that exists or really has existed in America since the end of World War II. This stasis where we had this boom and now everybody's sitting around on their loans, on their debt, hoping that tomorrow we're going to get another one. And when that doesn't come, we have to be ready to handle that problem. So technology really needs to be used in order to converse with people to spread these ideas because not for nothing, not only just the environmental crisis, but a true collapse of capitalism is within foreseeable future, considering how awful of a spot it is sitting in right now, especially in for the mass majority of people in America. Because capitalism can succeed, you know, capitalism has always succeeded and will succeed until the day that it finally doesn't. But that doesn't mean that everyone is going to benefit from that. As we see, capitalism is supposedly good in America, but look at all of the global South and it is very much not good. So capitalism is truly at a place where not for nothing, middle class folks in America are actually hurting economically and socially right now, like truly being affected in ways that they never have before. And so if all those folks start watching, um, Alex Jones or, (laughs) you know, start watching, you know, maybe teenagers start watching Caitlin Bennett and all those folks. That's how we get fascism. We don't want fascism. And then the last thing that I wrote down was this end of history stagnation that you were pointing out where like you never really believed it. You never really looked at society and was like, yeah, this this is this is how it should go. This is how it's working. You always recognize that like something was wrong, but the the narrative is that sit around and wait for it to work again. But there are and I just read a book and if you haven't, you ought to check it out. It's called The Communist Necessity by mm-hmm. J. Malfoy Paul. There are people who will die tomorrow because of medical goods, food, social services that they will not be provided simply because they do not have either one, the adequate funds to provide it for themselves or a social institution that is going to provide it for them. That's real life shit. 
And so yeah. if we don't start doing something about it, millions more are going to continue to die. The vaccine isn't supposed to get to Africa and South America on some projections until 2023, 2024. How many millions will die before then? Right. And even after the vaccine, hey, guys, I get the flu vaccine every year. I've gotten the flu before. It's not like the vaccine makes us immune. We have to understand that, again, it's a complicated beast. It's not A or B. So that rant summed up, um, education is crucial. And if we don't recognize that, especially in, again, what I like to call the unorganized left of America, <laughs> um, if we don't recognize that, our revolution's going to come and go. Yeah. And on top of that, we might not even be alive to see it. That's that's the thing. Like, it's so frustrating to me that even on the left, I'm sure you've been, you know, witness to it. There's so many spheres who want to just sit there and say, no, actually, Lenin was right or Mao was right or Kropotkin or whoever. Hey, there's people in your own city who need food today. Like, it's very frustrating to me. And I think that's why I have. I changed the narrative of my show um, from annoying question boy, what it used to be, to <laughs> in defense of liberation, because I really do think that this education is crucial. And of course, you you folks over at Anti Conquista and yourself included, it seems, agree wholeheartedly. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's something we always have to ground ourselves in the real world. In you know, that's what it means to be a Marxist, to be a materialist, right? To be grounded in not some abstract idea out here that's like, you know, we're gonna somehow reach, we're, we're gonna make material reality fit this abstract idea. It's the opposite, you know, we're gonna make, um, we're gonna make change the material world and base our organizing on what actually exists. And I think that so many people on the left in unfortunately, because they haven't been taught about philosophy or economics, they have they treat marxism like a religion like if it's a dry set of beliefs that you know that it has to be exactly this if you don't have this in a revolution then you're not real socialist and people need to get beyond that because in every epoch of history socialist revolution or revolutions have taken different forms each time for example when you had the Haitian Revolution against French colonialism, it took a certain character. When you have the, the Paris Commune, it had a certain character to it. And then after the Paris Commune collapsed and failed, people were like, you see, the socialism stuff is never going to work, you know, and then people went back to the drawing board. But then lo and behold, the Soviet Union and the Russian Revolution, that came and then, you know, China as well. But then the Soviet Union eventually collapsed. And, or was overthrown right by by market forces and imperialism and now in the 21st century we're going to have to use a new model a new it's not going to happen exactly the same way it did before and i think right. that's really um going back to what you were talking about with hegel uh and philosophy it, that's important to keep in mind because so one of the concepts that hegel talks about and in terms of his logic it's just different from the bourgeois logic because we have John Stuart Mill, Aristotle, who say A is A, B is B, and therefore A cannot be B. But Hegel says, wait a second, you know, A and B, even though they're opposites, one can become the other. They're interconnected in contradiction. And everything is everything is, is a spectrum and a contradiction and a process. It's not a static, isolated 
thing that is unchanging. Everything is fluid. It's like nature, right? Like river water flows into other bodies of, wa of water. You know, Heraclitus says you never step into the same river twice. Everything is matter in motion that's constantly moving, interacting, and creating new matter. And that's something that I think was one of the philosophical traditions that Marx really uh, that took from Hegel that was really important, the dialectical thinking. And, and Hegel's dialectic is actually rooted in also a lot of historically underground societies and um, esoteric thought, because Hegel uh, was influenced a lot by the Gnostics, by uh, Kabbalah, the Rosicrucians, who were outlawed during the medieval period because the, 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 the Catholic Church historically was the ones that were promoting that same rationalist thinking where they say A is A, you know, a man is a man, a woman is a woman. There's nothing in between, or this is that, this is that. And, and, and in esoteric thought, like in, in Kabbalah and, and other systems of philosophy that were underground, God was both man and woman. There was the divine masculine and the divine feminine to become one. And that is so central to dialectics as well, that Hegel incorporated, that Marx incorporated, that Lenin, where it's like, you know, capitalists, you can't have capitalists without workers. You And they're, they're interconnected, right? So you have these people in, in capitalism who are like, oh, well, we can all become millionaires. Like, they think it's just a matter of making, the, making A into B, but it's like, no, you can't have A without B. They're mutually mm -hmm. dependent. You, you can't have hot without cold. You can't have day without night. And so that's the way we ha have to change the way we think as communists. It's not a religion. It's not, a, you know, this is socialism. This is, it's like, no, like one flows into others, into the other. Socialism flows into communism. And, and it's a process that has advances and retreats, you know, one step forward, two steps back, like, it's a it's a constantly moving organism and a process, uh, and I'm glad you mentioned that because education is so important to that, and all of that is not taught in our schools. You know, that's not I I, I study like politics and all that in college, and they don't they never teach about that. You know, instead you read Plato's Republic for like three months, and that's it. You know. Um, yeah, I think that even if you, I guarantee you, even if you got like philosophy on top of that i guarantee you it would have been just more of that bourgeois shit because that's yeah. that's all colleges in this school teach and even if you get like a, a cool teacher that might throw you the communist manifesto or something like that the goal of the classes that you're taking that the conversations you're having those things are all progressing thought and i think that we have like this weird disconnection from our own lives almost like we are alienated from our own lives <laughs> right um where like things happen like say you go to school and you go through history class like public education history class and you're never taught like how you know the failures of germany pre-world war one uh, led to the failures of germany in world war one and then the uh, economic collapse the social collapse, the political vacuum, and then you have Nazism, and then you have Adolf Hitler, if instead you're taught there was this guy, this real bad guy in Germany that we eventually had to kill, you know, and that was awful, but like, you know, we brought some scientists over, and we did Operation Paperclip, and like, right. it, it ended up being all okay. No, that was a process, like, I believe it 
it's Castro who said history develops the man of the hour. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Yes. Exactly. Um, yeah. So like Hitler was the person that Germany needed in that moment to lead them to what they were headed towards. Hitler did not spawn into the world with some God-ordained goal to become uh, the Nazi leader of Germany. No, if you know anything about history, you know Hitler was just some asshole who wanted to be a painter, then he got drafted into the war, he was a foot soldier, he ended up becoming some kind of higher up. And then if, if you follow history, it, it seems like Hitler has like some kind of magic button where everything works out for him. But that is history creating the man of the hour. Material conditions, history, time, and everything else coalesces into a moment and things happen. You know what yeah. I mean? If someone else had been the right man for the hour or the right woman for the hour or whoever, then that's who would have led Germany into that. But Hitler ended up being that person. Um in America, like you say, we're we're not taught that that philosophy, that way of critical thinking, because that's what that is. That's critical thinking. That's understanding this leads to this and that leads to that. If I don't want that, I have to do this. You know what I mean? We're right. not taught that. Um, we're we're given uh, an education that is intentionally to make us subordinate. Um, it, one thing that I really want to learn about and read soon is uh pedagogy of the oppressed yeah um it's an incredibly you know important book but more than anything the idea behind it of how education is structured in our country it really goes to show you that they're not trying to teach us anything they're we got to get that degree so that our job can say okay they know how to sit still and be quiet and they have a paper to prove it so now i'm going to hire them for the job but outside of that, there's so little true, and we always say, like, real-life classes, but not just, like, how to pay my taxes or how to participate in this system, how to rec recognize that this system is man-made, that things can be better, that society is wholly changing always and evolving, and that the world around me has been scripted and been made into this thing by folks and other people, but there are people today who are trying to change that and not only is that a possibility it's a necessity because the society today again is failing for the majority of people alive and participating in it if you if you want to talk about you know really important theories of marxism historical materialism is one of the most key you know points that you can ever talk about historical materialism you know i'm not the the greatest uh, I'm, I'm not a professor. I'm not formerly educated at like all on any of this. Like this has been mostly me talking to people that's been able to. If you listen to my old episodes in my podcast, you can really see the progress. I was die hard for like Bernie. Uh, like hmm, Interesting. But, yeah, yeah. But like historical materialism teaches us that, you know, as time progresses, certain things that worked at one time or were a necessity at one time failed to be so at another feudalism at one time served a purpose that was made that made it so that it was able to become you know the structure of society then you have all these bourgeois revolutions all over that said no feudalism is not working we don't want feudalism anymore and guess what 
they fucking won. And I mean, I'm not rooting on, you know, the American revolutionaries or the French yeah. revolutionaries or anything like that. But even even in Haiti, you know, that take that takes a certain character because of the epoch in the period of time that it exists in. But as much as it is saying this no longer is necessary, it is also saying, and this is something that we on the left really need to start having conversations about, it is saying something else is a necessity. But if that something else is a necessity, we can't just go into it with broad ideas of what we think we want to try to implement or what we think is or isn't socialism. The whole point of these revolutions, in my eyes, is to provide for people in a way, create a society that is communal and humanistic in nature that has never or hasn't in a very long time existed on this earth. Because right now, I believe it's 3.3 billion people who live underneath the uh, just absurd poverty line and how that's defined. But even still, $5.10 a day is what is the poverty line, I believe, in general that the UN puts in place. 3.3 billion people today make less than that. That means that those people need to be fed today. Yeah. How are we going to do it? That's that's why all of this stuff is important to understand as a as a process, as as a, a evolving and open ended, you know, thing that we're working in. We're we're going to fail time and time again. We got to take those failings, learn from them, progress further. Like that's what the Paris Commune was. That's what the Bolshevik revolution was. That's what the Cuban revolution was. That's what all these revolutions are, is taking the lessons that they can learn and applying them to their own reality. That's that's what we're working towards. We It can't be anything else because it's not going to work. Yeah, definitely. And it's adapting it to the local conditions and understanding what makes sense in a particular country. Like in Latin America, for example, you can't talk about socialist movements without talking about the liberation theology and certain sectors, progressive sectors of the church that have played a role in supporting revolutions all over the continent, even though it doesn't play out the same way in China or Russia, where the church was played an antagonistic role and was a counter-revolutionary role. In Latin America, in certain areas, in certain revolutions, the church has played a progressive role. Mm -hmm. And so that's something that has to be like, for, for example, like in Nicaragua, the slogan that they use is socialism, Christianity, solidarity. And while to some in many in the, like I'm an atheist, right? But like to, to a lot of other people in the first world left who are also atheists, they may cringe when they hear the Christianity part. And it's like, okay, I, I, I get what you're saying and I feel you, but you also have to understand that like for them, their first teaching of good and bad and, and rich and poor was Jesus and, and, and understanding like that, the, that the, the meek shall inherit the earth, you know, and mm -hmm. that the fact that like poor people are, have more virtue and good within them because they're not corrupted by greed, by individuality, which they view as satanic. Like someone like Ayn Rand, who Ayn Rand, who's like, you know, in selfishness is virtue and like being fighting for what you want, the bull on Wall Street, like that 
they view as like evil, you know, and, and, and that's fine if people want to express it in that way. That's cool too. The same way that in the Middle East, you know, if people combine socialism and, and Islam, like that's cool to understanding the conditions. And like you said, it's, it's, um, I, you also hit on a key word that is necessity. Uh, you know, there's a difference between things happening by chance and things happening by necessity. And that's what the dialectical process is all about, that by necessity, things have to change because there's been a change in the mode of production. And so, like, when we're talking about historical materialism, um, the mode of production is, is something that is important to keep in mind. And what is the mode of production? The mode of production is the way that a particular society organizes its wealth. So we have, for example, in historical materialism, the early stages of humanity, which formed the majority of human history, which is primitive communism or communalism, right? Where there was no private property, people lived in clans and they didn't have the bourgeois concept of the current family. Eventually, once people learned how to use tools, how to develop stones and eventually weapons, then you had the rise of empires. And then once you had the rise of empires, you know, eventually you, event you later had the rise of feudalism, which replaced that era. And then eventually cap the capitalist, you know, during feudalism, you had the enlightenment, the renaissance, the colonization of the quote unquote new world. You know, you had scientific discoveries carried out by the capitalists who then became the new ruling class and suppressed the feudal lords. And by necessity, feudalism had to adapt because there was a new mode of production. There was a new way of organizing wealth and resources in a society. And so that led to the rise of wage labor, of corporations, of factories. And so now that we've experienced capitalism for the past you know, few centuries, by necessity, a new system will have to replace it because everything rises and falls. Everything follows that basic law of the universe that dialectical law is that everything that comes into being must wither away and mm -hmm. and will take a new form you know and we'll see that fractally expressed in the universe like you know there's that term of fractal reality right so like something that is true on the universal level in the universe is also true in the microcosm so the same way that our solar system our galaxy the milky way galaxy like was created out of an explosion of the big bang it, now it's slowly like retracting and dying you know our sun is is very slowly dying they say like in a few million or billion years our sun is eventually going to stop like like you know being on uh, like stop on existing right yeah. and so everything like in the universal level you see that right the rise and fall of galaxies and solar systems we also see that with societies on earth, the rise and fall of feudalism, the rise and fall of capitalism. We see that also even with organizations on the left. I can't tell you how many ABC groups, alphabet soup, communist groups I've seen in the US where it's like the league of the revolutionary, you know, ABC party and whatever, like it, it's not to be a dick about it, but it's just like, you know, everything has its rise and everything has its fall. Right. And, and when we understand that, we can see that capitalism, we can defeat that capitalist notion that, oh, it, this is human nature, like this is the way it'll be forever. Because no, like by necessity, capitalism will get into crisis because capitalism is inherently built into 
uh, a ca contradiction is inherently built into capitalism because of surplus value, because of the falling rate of profit. And pretty soon the whole world, you know, this is what Lenin talks about in imperialism, the whole world, like in Marx's time, capitalism was just rising. There was untouched lands. There was like so many places left to exploit where the market. Now the whole world, the whole global economy has been, you know, there's fucking McDonald's in Somalia. There's, you know, right. Walmart in Bangladesh. Like the whole, there's no more earth left to colonize with new markets. And so what happens then is that it gets into crisis and it starts redividing and recutting up more and more and more and more and more internally, like balkanizing because there's nothing else. And it just starts eating away at itself from inside, right. you know, and, and that's what's happening now where, you know, somebody like somebody like who works at McDonald's, who gets paid a shitty wage in the hood and like, you know, I'm from New York, like in New York has so much in common with a McDonald's worker in India you know, that, that is being exploited, that is, their boss is the same boss. And we've never seen that before in capitalism where people, you know, people in India right now, like they, they know, they use WhatsApp, they use Facebook. We can talk to the people organizing these big strikes. Like, so it's interesting because that's where that concept that Lenin talks about comes into play where he says like the same, um, the workers will hang the capitalists with the rope that they, the capitalist tries to sell the worker, like the same technology that the capitalists develop for their profits because of capitalist crisis eventually are used back against them um, under control of working the working class. You know, something like Amazon, right? Like imagine if we, we would be able to nationalize Amazon right now to be like, yo, you know, Jeff Bezos, this, this is ours now. Like, we're going to use Amazon and all the technology to deliver food, medicine, goods to everybody who needs it. That's possible. The mode of production is there. Uh, it's just a matter of workers taking power. So I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. Right. That I couldn't even. So I actually said the other day as a joke, I, I was like, we, we ought to because Jeff Bezos is stepping down as CEO. Um, did you hear what position he's taking? No, I didn't. No. I think he's just taking like the executive board of director, which is a much <laughs> higher paid and yeah. a much more like direct decision making position. Because like as owner, he, he doesn't make many decisions, like how the company progresses, like who they sell to, stuff like that, the day to day stuff. So he's actually taking a more uh, high ranking and also a higher paying job. Yeah. Uh, but most importantly, out of the public eye. So that's that's what's but when I, I saw that he was stepping down, I, I messaged some of my friends. I was like, so y'all trying to nationalize Amazon real quick? <laughs> right, um, for real. That that would be crazy because it's true. Like that, like you said, the mode of production exists. It's just simply taking that mode of production and using it to benefit the people who are actually creating that mode of production. That's something that that's another thing of education that we don't understand. I have a few things written down I want to hit at, but I want to say this real quick. So one thing that is very fought against is this idea of the dictatorship of the proletariat, which real quick for those who are watching or listening who don't really know what that is, there's a, a, a process by which the proletariat or the working class seizes the means of productions uh, production and eventually is able to take control of the apparatus that exists 
that controls society and become the dictatorship over that society, the pe- the group of people making the decisions, organizing that society, all of that. That terminology, dictatorship, very obviously authoritarianism is a huge, you know, uh, buzzword, but like that is a very misunderstood topic. But what dictatorship of the proletariat, the, the process by, that is you know, capitalizing on is there is a state apparatus that exists right now that is awful, but is the thing that is holding all of this together right now. The reason why it's awful is because the very minority of the population, the 1%, those ultra rich, those ultra wealthy, those ultra powerful folks are the ones in control of that state. The dictatorship of the proletariat is not taking necessarily the bourgeois state, because that obviously we're getting rid of and we're creating a proletarian state, but we're taking the idea of centralizing, organizing, and then, you know, producing and then, you know, organizing society. It's the people taking something that already exists and making it theirs, the same way that nationalizing Amazon would be taking things that already exist and rather than selling them at an exorbitant profit for one person's benefit, giving them to people who directly need them. Again, necessity is incredibly important right now, and these things exist which could provide for those necessities. Um, So... I can kind of sum up all of my little written down things into a little rant. So I'm going to, I'm going to try to do that real quick. Um, one thing that's incredible, if you start to learn about Marxism and I, again, am still incredibly ingrained in the learning part of Marxism. I, I call myself a Marxist because I believe in Marxist theory. Um, I am a Marxist, but I, I am not a professor by any means. That's for sure. But if you start learning about Marxism, you kind of pointed it out in a few ways. That's a science that exists across many different sciences. Um, you talk about these contradictions, you know, within uh, the society that exists today, there is a working class and there is a ruling class. Those are the contradictions that are built directly into capitalism, which, like you say, capitalism is going to, or the folks are going to hang the capitalists by the rope that they're trying to sell to those folks because capitalism is going to birth the very grave diggers, as it is used, for capitalism because capitalism is created the working class. Capitalism created the conditions of struggle, of suffering, that millions, if not billions of people all over the world are suffering today. Capitalism created that. And now those folks are saying, hey, wait a minute, this capitalism that you say is supposed to be really good is actually the reason why I have yet to be able to afford uh, a home. The reason why I have yet to be able to go to college in, say, the United States. And then for billions of others, it's the reason why they can't feed themselves tonight. Those contradictions are directly built into other things, too. If you look at nature, Charles Darwin's understanding of the the pr- production or the process of evolution through, um, uh, I can't think of the whole phrasing, but through uh, natural selection, the contradiction is either the society that exists will 
you'll be able to live in as an animal or a, a bacteria or whatever, or you'll die. Or along the way, in between there, you'll evolve and be able to meet the needs of that society. You'll be able to create, you know, the ability to live in that society. If you look at um, physics, I think, I think I'm talking physics. I, I Most of what I'm saying is repeating. I'm just regurgitating information here. But you have action and reaction. Right. Two things that you cannot have without one another. You can't have action without a reaction. You can't throw a ball at a wall and expect that it's not going to bounce back and hit you in the face. You know, you go even further than that. You have positive and negatively charged ions that are the fabric of our universe. The very antithetical things created you and me, created everything that will ever exist and then again will eventually eat itself up and become something else. When we talk about these things, though, especially because of the, the miseducation, but also just um, uh, pre-existing notions and conceptions that folks have about Marxism, one common like critique is that it's like deterministic. Like you're saying, oh, because you know people need this, it's just going to happen. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is because these things need to happen, eventually people are going to say, hey, this needs to happen, and they're going to somehow or another try to make it happen. Eventually, and this this is the last thing I wanted to point out because you, you, you said it, and I don't think you meant it to, to lead to this, but it did. You used the term wither away. Yet again, another very Marxist concept and you also use the, the phrase human nature. So let me try to sum it up real quick. Human nature, like everything else, is an evolution. Human nature in indigenous communities is kinship. Human nature in a uh, uh, boardroom at uh, Apple might be a little different than human nature in those kinship relationships in the indigenous cultures. But that doesn't make the, the nature that develops there any different than the nature develops here. So when we have these conversations about human nature, human nature, just like feudalism, just like the primitive communism, will wither away and become anew. But that can't just happen. We have to educate people. We have to get them to understand why these things even need to change in the first place. You know, if you got some guy who's making $120,000, he's got a wife and three kids, he's got a nice, you know, Tucson in the driveway, and he gets to go to Florida, you know, three, four times a year, it's going to be hard to convince that person that socialism, you know, needs to happen. It's not going to be hard to convince that McDonald's worker in the city or that McDonald's worker in India that socialism is necessary. But we need more than just those folks. We need masses. Um, Marx, Lenin, all of them talk about the fact that right now in our state of being, the only weapon that the people have is their numbers. And right. so we have to capitalize on that. We can't sit here and preach these things like, you know, if you don't know this, then you can't be a part of this and you're not a, a socialist. Or and, and, you know, on top of that, we can't point to things and say this isn't socialism because it, it doesn't do this. We're in the middle of what I would argue has been a like a hundred year beginning of a true like socialist revolution. 
you know, if you look back in the, the late 1800s, early 1900s, all over the world, we had national liberation movements. We had actual attempts at, you know, people trying to elect socialism in places like America. You had labor movements. You had women's rights movements. You had uh, Native Americans in uh, North America who were, you know, let's see, 1890 would have been near the ghost dance time. That Actively, if you want to talk about a real act of resistance, indigenous culture is wholly an act of resistance. Existing as an indigenous person is an act of resistance. And you can see all of these, ha ha like you were saying, there's revolutions that have happened and taken different character all throughout time. Revolution in and of itself is not necessarily a Marxist theory. But what we are working at is taking the scientific analysis that Marxism gives us and applying it to revolutionary theory and saying, the people need to eat tomorrow. And what exists right now isn't going to do that for them. So how do we take what exists right now and all these ideas that all these folks all throughout time, because if you're looking for revolutionary theory, there's a shit ton out there. That doesn't mean it's all good. That doesn't yeah. mean it's all going to help, but it's out there. We got to take all of that, sum it up and go, OK, we here in Cuba need socialism. Yeah. And they take those theories and they apply it to Cuba and they work towards trying to create that change we are in the process of that but there's 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 so much to talk about you know but the what i wanted to finish on is that the reason why i call myself a marxist is because you can look at all these other sciences you can look at nature you can see the theories that marx and Engels put into and it's not marx and Engels' ideas that's another conversation we could have how these ideas don't just fall from the sky into people's heads right um but the the theories that marx and Engels put into text and put into you know thought and then people at the paris commune and then you know the bolshevik revolution took those ideas and put them into practice and then we can you know talk about whether they failed or not whatever but the reason why i'm a marxist is because that is the only theory that has ever produced a quote-unquote successful revolution like we saw with the Bolshevik revolution, like we saw with the Cuban revolution, like we're seeing with the Bolivarian revolution and the revolutions all throughout South and Central America. These theories are theories that are not based in some ridiculous, absurd idea of what we want to create. These are theories that say, the world is fucked and we need to fix it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's why I call myself a Marxist. And that that I think is really important because, you know, we, we oftentimes have conversations about the left on the Internet and everything like that. But I think even folks who are actively involved in organizing and struggle sometimes need a, a refresher of this, that this isn't some OK Josh read some books and now he's going to go into Rome and make socialism. Yeah. No, the the whole process is trying to solve problems for people. If if you don't know that that takes more than just an idea and then expecting it's just going to work, you might need to take a step back. You know what I mean? And that's yeah. what I think 
a lot of the left is doing wrong, especially here in centers of capitalism, uh, places like America, Canada. Uh, I mean, I can't speak for Canada necessarily, but I'm just saying based off of the, the society that exists, it, it's hard to expect that um, it would be different than America because I think, and this is this is the last thing I'll say, I think the most crucial thing that you can understand as a Marxist is that this is um, common sense in the truest way it can be, because you can take a huge book of theory to, you know, say uh, uh, an indigenous person who participated in the ghost dance, and they could take that and go, cool, all right, I'm actively doing that right now. They didn't need to read theory to know right. that, that this folks in Central, South, and Latin America might have benefited from Marxist-Leninist theories, but there were national liberation movements in Haiti. The first successful, you know, black republic ever established was established in after the 1804 Haitian Revolution. That's years before even the Communist Manifesto was written, before any of the... These ideas are not good because we like the people who wrote them. These ideas are not good because we don't like capitalism because we're not rich. And so these guys hate capitalism. So we're going to side with them. We like these ideas because these ideas are based in scientific analysis that intends to take the reality that exists and restructure it in a way that is beneficial for the majority of people alive today. Yeah. That's so well said because it's subjective. People are carrying out revolution because it is an objective necessity and an objective truth. So much of the postmodern garbage that we see on the left today about like my truth and everything is relative and like that's all been a Western per, uh, perversion of Marxism because as communists, we understand that there's objective reality that there are subjective factors that can help change objective reality, but ultimately the material conditions and objective reality shape the subjective, uh, the subjective actions. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't really take into consideration when talking about revolution, especially the, the first world left, especially unfortunately a lot of anarchists who should like to shit on countries like Venezuela or Cuba or Nicaragua or Bolivia for not having the perfect full communist, you know, commune or whatever. But it's like, okay, like it's not, they think it's all a matter of mind, right? They, they think it's all, they think mind it's a matter. matter. It's such a, right. it's such an incredible like phrase, but it's, it's really reflective of how we think. Oh yeah, definitely. They think, and that's why Marx and Lenin, they call them utopian socialists, right? Mm -hmm. And then Engels had, you know, socialism, utopia, utopic, utopian versus scientific. And that was, that's always been the longstanding beef with the anarchists like Bakunin and, and other Kropotkin that they like, they want their idea to happen now. And, and they think mind over matter, right? But we understand that matter over mind. And yes, mind can influence matter, but in the dialectical relationship between mind and matter, matter is dominant and mind is subjective. And so that's something that with the, like, for example, in the coup d'etat in Bolivia that happened in 2019, you know, there was a lot of, I saw a lot of first world anarchist groups who were cheering on the coup, the protests in Bolivia, and they were like, yes, like, we're going to get rid of Evo, he's a fake socialist, you know, he, 
and, and we've seen how that's been used to serve imperialism's agenda to attack the left from the left, to attack governments around the world that may not be 100% perfect, that are building socialism. And even in Bolivia, they called the party Movimiento al Socialismo, the movement towards socialism. That dialectical analysis is even reflected in their name. And you have these anarchists rooting, like cheering on the coup. And it's just like, what? Like, how can you do that? You know, like they're, they're not perfect. They're, they're building it little by little. And um, I think that's something that is, is something that people really have to understand. And I think the point that you made about necessity is also uh, really good because I, one analogy I like to think of is a plane, right? So let's say hypothetically, like in terms of socialism and like the, the necessity of socialism, mm-hmm. picture, you know, let's say you're on a plane, right? And everyone's on a plane, every, like there's like a hundred people on the plane and there's just one pilot. And everyone trusts that one pilot and the pilot's like, I know what I'm doing. Like, I'm going to take this plane to our destination, right? Which is in society, wealth or prosperity or safety. Because that's what everybody wants, right? People want peace. They want stability, progress, you know. And and so the pilot's like, okay, I'm going to take you guys there. So the flight takes off, okay? It starts getting pretty rough, right? There's some bad turbulence. There's a big s- storm. And the pilot doesn't know what the fuck they're doing. And the pilot's still saying, like, we're going to be fine, ladies and gentlemen. Everything's fine. Like, let's do it my way, you know. And there's going to be a certain point where, like, people who are on that plane, they're going to feel that necessity to be, like, move aside. Like, we're taking over this because right. you're going to kill us. You're going you're gonna to lead us to the ground. You're going to throw this plane. Like, and that's what capitalism is doing as we speak, like, with climate change with devastation, with pollution, with exploitation, wars, you know, like it's literally dry. It's accelerating the speed at which this earth is collapsing, at which people are dying and they're by necessity. And that's something that Darwin talks about is part of like evolutionary biology is like any species that exists will do whatever it takes to survive. Right. Like, and, and sometimes that even means things that that person or animal would have otherwise been impossible. It's kind of like the, those um, scenarios where like- uh, Super mom? Super mom, right, exactly. It's like, if they see their baby like under, like, like under a cabinet, a and they'll be like, like yeah. they, they, won't even, they won't even know they have that strength or potential in them, but by necessity, because of the material conditions, they're gonna do that for the survival of themselves and their species. And there's going to be a point where the human species as a whole, like all 7 million billion people on this planet, when the sea levels are at an insane point where the earth is collapsing, we're going to need to come together and figure out what the fuck we need to do, you know? And that's by necessity when revolutions happen, you know, that's when people are forced to come together, forced to work together to create a new synthesis or a new solution by the dictatorship of the proletariat by not being not going to that pilot and be like hey you know i'm sorry i know we asked you before but can we take over the plane now because we're about to crash and the pilot keeps saying no 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 there's going to be a point where they say get the fuck out of here like yeah like we're taking over this plane and that's how i see it with capitalism you know there's going to be a point where the things are going to get bad you know with war with crackdowns with pollution like or as a global working class we're going to have to take the wheels but we have to be prepared for that you know we have to be like you said like it's not just about we shouldn't just define ourselves 
by what we're against. And that, and that's been my contention with a lot of anarchists, unfortunately, is like, they're so defined by what they're not, you know, we're not authority against all authority, against all state. It's like, so what are you for? You know, it's like, and we have to be defined by what we're for. And we have to be in that position where, for example, during COVID-19, where we see the state failing in terms of delivering goods and services to poor people, for communists to be like, we're doing an even better job of giving people food, housing, clothing, direct aid, direct service, that we're building dual power. We're even more efficient than the capitalist system in doing that. That's how you build power. You know, it's not just being like, oh, well, you know, look at what, like being against, like you have to build the alternative. And that's also what we're trying to do with media as well, with Anticonquista and others left, you know, bread tube, rice tube, whatever you want, rice and bean tube, whatever you want to call it. Like, you know, we're, we're trying to create, we have, right? Yeah. And it's like, we have, we have Netflix, you know, like, so anything that's on Netflix or Hulu, like is subverted in some sense, like the topics they talk about are interesting and they, they kind of go into some interesting stuff, but it always leads back into like imperial propaganda. So instead of complaining about it, let's make our own shit, you know, let's make socialist movies. Let's write uh, socialist books. Let's create socialist YouTube channels. Let's create socialist food distribution centers. And, and that is the mentality we have to have. We have to build, the alternative we can't just sit around and wait for capitalism to collapse like we actually have to to build and create that mm-hmm. i i agree wholeheartedly and i um and i i hate to jump in on the the bandwagon uh shitting on anarchists but, <laughs> but yeah. like um i have a lot of folks because i became quote unquote radicalized by like social media because, okay. I mean, not for nothing, this pretty little white face didn't struggle too much for most of my life. <laughs> I feel um, you. But, like, I... Uh, Neither did Engels or, or Marx, by the way. Marx a little more so, but, you know, that doesn't mean that you don't have a role. Right, right. I was just, yeah. Um, But, you know, getting into Bernie and beginning to recognize for the first time that, like, maybe they don't know what they're doing when they're trying to set up you know, society, you know what I mean? And one, one way that I got into leftist spheres was obviously online. And so a lot of interactions that I have had with anarchists, you're right. It's like, you can't, if you're, if you're anti-state and you're anti all authority, okay, let's, let's imagine a scenario where tomorrow the revolution succeeds and there's just stasis, right? Yeah. Don't you think that the folks who literally yesterday were in charge have billions of dollars, have all the power, have a standing army that we cannot even imagine the size of? Don't you think they're going to just come back tomorrow? Right, exactly. If If you have a revolution and you succeed, it's not like the people who are in power are going to be like, good game. And then just like, <laughs> good match, I'm out. Walk yeah. away. Yeah. Like, you not for nothing and not even to just talk about authority period you have to have a state because when they come back with guns you got to have guys ready with guns yourself exactly you got to have that state because that state is the organizing tool to have that defense mechanism you can't right. have these you know dislocated localities of you know uh a, i don't even know what the term is 
But like you you can't have yeah. this disconnected movement because autonomous communes. Yes, that's and, the word. Oh, I'm like, you need for. a fuck, You need to be organized, militant. But yo, comment. Um, I actually have to head out right now. Okay. Um, but I just want to end with this note. You know, I just want to say like, you know, shout out to you for starting this channel. For everybody, should go and subscribe to In Defense of Liberation and. Uh, let's definitely collab soon. I'm I'm sorry I have I have to head out. Um, but uh, but let's do some more collabs. And I I really enjoy talking with you. I would I would love to, my friend. Um, and like I said, I'm talking with Danny and I talked with Nick. So maybe yeah. we get a big episode together. That'd be really fun. Let's do it, comrade. All right, peace. So my fault. I I have to leave. All right. You're perfectly fine. Hey, stay safe. We'll see you next time. All right. Thanks peace for talking. Out, Thanks for coming on. No doubt. Peace out. All right. Bye. from Anticonquista, which uh, if you haven't already, go ahead and check them out. Uh, super dope uh, show, not just a podcast, not just a uh, Facebook Live, uh, but a you know multi-level uh, show with many different people involved, so go ahead and check that out. They have social media, uh, they do a lot of Facebook Live videos, like I said, so uh, always really awesome to check out new shows. Uh, that are spreading the word about uh, the necessity, not only for just communism, but the necessity for change in general, the fact that people are, you know, suffering, like the fact that things are wrong, that is a conversation that we don't have to often have in a lot of spheres that we are used to in our day-to-day -day basis, so it's incredibly important to have those conversations, and so that's why I like to have folks like Romero on, and that's why I do the show, is because I feel these conversations need to be had, you know? Um, so if you're still listening, like I said, thank you. Uh, go ahead and check out Anticonquista. Uh, you can go ahead and check out my stuff as well if you don't already. Uh, I also do a blog, which you can find at forliberation.wixsite.com forward slash website. Um, you can check out my blog there. Uh, it's just also, in general, my website, so that's Cool. You can check that out. Find other episodes on there. Um, yeah, you can find my social media at uh, In Defense of Liberation on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook. Um, go ahead and check that out. Give me a follow if you don't mind. Um, also, if uh, you would like to help me out in any way, uh, something that you folks can do that actually truly impact my reach is uh, rating and reviewing me. Um, so, I mean, I don't rate and review me however you want, but just rating and reviewing me gets me, uh, involved in the algorithm a little bit more, which gets my name out there, you know? Um, so if you wouldn't mind, please go ahead and do that. Uh, also, I started saying this at the end of every episode and I'm going to keep saying it. If for any reason you want to reach out to me personally, you want to tell me what a fucking asshole I am, what an idiot communist I am. You want to reach out to me and become my friend. You want to reach out to me and try to organize. You want to reach out to me and try to get on an episode. Whatever. Annoyingquestionboy at gmail.com. Reach out to me there. Say whatever you want. I uh, love talking to folks. So, yeah. Reach out to me. Um, but other than that, folks, that's going to be it for me. Uh, thanks for listening. I appreciate, as always, the, the listeners. Um, I appreciate you know people commenting on my stuff. People following me on my social media and stuff it really means a lot um because i mean like we talked about in this episode 
this isn't going to happen in one day. This is a revolution. This is a movement uh, that's made up of many people, many places, that's going to take uh, a lot of time. But we got to start somewhere. And so even as insignificant and uh, minuscule as it might seem, even just talking, following people on social media, listening to podcasts, reading books, like all that's important. And we got to work on doing it because if we don't do it, it's not going to get any better. Uh, but yeah, so until next time, folks, uh, this has been Josh, and uh, hope you stay safe. Bye.